This is the True To You podcast, your very own work bestie. Each week we come together for honest conversations about reinventing yourself and your career, all while navigating a path towards meaningful work. I'm your host, Ruby Marsh. Let's do this. Welcome to episode 47. My guest today is Amelia Cardillo. She is the founder of boutique law firm Cardillo Commercial Lawyers. Might I add, she is also the first female accredited specialist in business law in Newcastle, which is where I live as well, mother to two beautiful boys. And when she isn't doing all of these things, you'll find her out running the beautiful trails that surround our city. Her work specializes in commercial leasing and property law. And I put these words in this sentence and automatically you're probably thinking, oh, this is just all too complex and reserved for big business. Well, that's not so much the truth. And I would say that what's really cool about Amelia's story is that she has had firsthand experience in small business after she launched an e-commerce store, Royal Rhino, back in 2016. In the last few months, as I'm recording this in 2020, Amelia has become the fairy godmother for many small businesses during COVID-19 as they navigate this challenging and very confusing time. Her work is founded on three principles of real value, transparent pricing, and plain English advice, because Amelia believes that this is essential to providing dynamic and innovative legal solutions for her clients. If you run a small business, this episode is incredibly valuable. But as with all my guests, I want to go beyond the work and share Amelia's story. So we actually have a really honest conversation in this episode, diving into things like money mindset, uh, why she choose, chose to exit private practice and start completely from scratch, not bringing any of her clients across with her personal brand, raising her visibility at a time when people really needed her support and she had to step up and out of her comfort zone in order to do that. And finally, her experience of running a small business and parenting, which I know many of you on here can identify with that juggle. If you are looking for a little bit of support in your own business and you live in Australia, Amelia is your woman to go to, whether it be contracts, whether it be certain uh, exchange and return policies, really just getting the basics locked in. I really suggest that you get in touch with her. Uh, She's also a really down-to-earth, kind, beautiful human, and that certainly comes across in this episode. So, without further ado, let's get into episode 37. 
Hold up, sister. Before we get into today's episode, let's take a short break to hear from one of our sponsors. Uh, Hang on a second. I'm sponsoring my own show because I'm a businesswoman too. And well, I've got something you might need. My bet is if you're loving the conversations we have on the True To You podcast, you're either in business or making plans to start your own thing. And what's the one thing stopping you from starting? Paralysis by analysis. Too many freaking ideas, too many passions, all the things. So how would it feel if you could reduce that endless list into the best business idea for you? Well, funny that, because I have a free five-step guide that will help you answer exactly that question. I promise you, if you're overwhelmed by too many choices, the best thing you can do is ask a few simple strategic questions to find the best one that suits your goals and your needs. To get your hands on this free step-by-step guide, head to rubymarsh.com. That is rubymarsh.com and enter your details to get it now. Don't wait any longer. Start creating today. Okay, welcome to the True to You podcast, Amelia. It's beautiful to be joining you today for this interview. Thank you so much for having me. Yeah. So I wanted to get Amelia on the show because she is a lawyer, first and foremost. She's a mama. She's had an e-commerce business. So she's so much more than just the law. But I believe that there is a lot of really great stuff that she is going to be able to support my women out there who are embarking on small small business or maybe they're deep in small business at the moment and they want to make sure that they've got all of their bases covered because this woman is here to ensure that, that you are supported and that, you know, Uh, you can kind of mitigate a little bit of risk here and there because even if we feel completely safe and in a business where not a lot could go wrong, we also never know. So I think what's great about this conversation today is that Amelia's had both sides of the coin and that she's actually had a business, especially an e-commerce business um, in children's clothing. So she knows all the ins and outs of what she's needed to do to make sure she's safeguarded with that business. But then she's also helping lots of other businesswomen as well. So the first question I'd love to kick it off with Amelia before we get into the nitty gritty of uh, what you can help us with today is knowing a little bit about your story. Like what uh, made you get into the law? Is law in your family? Uh, Yeah, tell us what got you to this point today and, and how you operate now as a lawyer. Yeah, so I really have very early memories of wanting to be a lawyer. Um, And a funny story, my mum was just doing some cleaning. She has hoarding tendencies, and I don't think she would mind if I say that because I tell her that all the time. But she actually found, um, it was a project that I did in year seven. And I think we had to introduce ourselves and say what we wanted to do in the future. And one of the last lines of this assignment said, um, I want to become a lawyer, so I want to become a well-paid lawyer. so I can help defend people's rights. And I just cracked up. I just don't know where exactly that desire came from, but it really stuck with me through high school. I always just knew that that's what I wanted to try. 
Um, and I think with a lot of people, when they're young, you might have that dream um, and get to uni and it might be different. But I was really focused on getting there to see if I did enjoy it. Um, so I did, you know, at year 11 and 12, I was able to do a legal studies elective and I loved it. It was really interesting. Um, I liked the, the way that you had to, you know, you were given certain facts and you had the law and you had to work out well, what's the answer to this problem. So I studied law at Newcastle University with business, a business degree as well. I wouldn't say that I loved the university process. Uh, I think I realised I was never going to be an academic and it was just getting through the five-year degree so I could actually practice because I wanted to do, I'm really a practical person. Uh, so then when I finished uni, I started working in private practice in Newcastle. Um, my father-in-law is actually a lawyer as well. So I met my husband in year 11. Um, and I think the first time I actually stepped into a law office was when I was 18 and I was just in awe of it all. There was just mountains of files because there was no, um, you know, there was no cloud software. Everything was hard copy files. He was just surrounded by paper. And I was just so excited. <laughs> I thought, this is where I want to be. I want to be in an office. I want to have paper surrounding me, you know, just living that lawyer dream. Um, so that was kind of my first taste of it before I'd actually studied and got into it. And he does a completely separate area of law to what I do now. But uh, my first job was in the same firm that he was working in. And I really just did uh, a bit of everything. I did criminal law, um, personal injury, employment, uh, commercial litigation, commercial law. So I did everything that I could get my hands on because I didn't know where I wanted to um, start practising. And at the time I left there, so I worked there for about two and a half years, I was doing commercial litigation. So that's where you're going to court, you, there's a dispute. So it's the dispute side of it. And I really enjoyed that side of it. Um, but until I went to my next job and there was this, someone had left in the commercial transaction team and I put my hand up as I usually do and say, yep, I'll help out and started doing commercial transactions. So that's more the beginning of a business. So the beginning phase, helping people start a business or maybe they're selling a business. And I really enjoyed how it was much more collaboration with the client. They weren't under this high pressure stress from litigation and you could really work to understand the client's business a lot more. And I just found that so fascinating, learning the ins and outs of these businesses. Um, so that's, I really didn't look back after I started doing commercial law. I really found that's where I wanted to practice and I've been doing that um, since then. So that's kind of how I fell into it. It's not the most, I feel like I'm not the most exciting story because I just had that, I just wanted to do it from such a young age. But luckily for me, it turned out well because I wasn't turned off by the whole um, practice once you get in. Because working in private practice is very different to studying law. And I actually found that, practicing law is so much more enjoyable than the actual study of it so I guess it worked out well in the end. <laughs> yes and I know that you said that the, a, a big turning point for you though in your career was uh, becoming a mother and for many of us uh, when we go through big transitions like that uh, I can't speak for the motherhood thing yet, but I do certainly work with a lot of women who experience that, that they, they 
have been in that nine to five grind. Uh, and I don't think it was a grind for you by the sounds of it. So that's really good to hear. But you'd found your sweet spot, but then obviously uh, something happened because you decided very quickly that private practice wasn't wasn't going to be for you forever and seeing the possibilities with how you could uh, raise your children and balance your career at the same time had you make some really tough decisions didn't it in terms of yeah. where your career was going to go yeah yeah I think the seed of starting my own business even started before I had kids I think as soon as I went into private practice I could just see that that partnership model wasn't going to work for me. It was still, so it was still very rigid, very male dominated. And I just didn't feel that it, that the firms that I was working with, that the law generally is very progressive, very quickly. So I always felt even before children that I didn't think that I would end up being a partner in a firm because I didn't want to just be a lawyer in an office doing drafting documents for 10 hours a day I did enjoy interacting with the clients and and doing marketing I was always involved in networking events and I loved meeting people so I think early on I I always thought I don't know if that's where I'll end up but it wasn't really until I had my first son that it really became clear that I needed to start thinking about how I was going to change my circumstances because going back part-time in the law is very difficult. Um, there's not a lot of flexibility and you're basically working three days. I went back three days, but doing full-time work in those three days. So you're either doing work on your days off or after hours and there's just there's just not that flexibility. And I've worked at other places that have a much better flexibility for parents, but I still felt that it was so much pressure on parents to when you're at work, be working at, you know, 110% capacity, while also getting home to do dinner and bedtime and, and then getting up at the next day and doing it all over again. So it just felt like that wasn't sustainable for me. And it was almost forcing me to go back into that sitting in an office just doing the work because I didn't have time to go networking. I didn't have time to do anything other than being a lawyer. So I think after my first son, I... I really started thinking about how I would do it if I was going to do it for myself. And I thought, well, I was planning on having a second child. So but we'll see what happens there. I didn't want to make the jump too soon. Um, but then once I had my second son, two years later, I think he was six weeks old. I just remember it was late at night, you know, a midnight breastfeeding session. And I thought, why don't I start something different? like an e-commerce sell something. I just wanted to sell a product. And I, I don't know what came over me because I had two kids. My eldest had just turned two. So a two-year-old and a six-week-old. And in the space of six weeks, I'd sourced products. I'd created a website. I'd started Instagram and Facebook and launched an e-commerce business, having never done it. So I spent lots of time researching in between, looking after the kids and um wanted to I, I guess I took the focus off the legal career for a little while um well not for a little while just during that maternity leave and I thought I just want to really give this a go and see what it was like um and I think doing the e-commerce store really opened my mind up to marketing and 
I guess developing a bit of a personal brand as well and realising that as a lawyer, I'd put myself in a box of not, I'm not a creative person, you know, I'm just good at looking at black and white, drafting documents, speaking to clients, giving advice, and then doing, you know, creating a website from scratch, doing product imagery and um, Instagram posts. And that was really fun. It was just, I, I just had so much fun doing it. it. didn't feel like work. So that was a really good introduction to marketing and the marketing side of a business. So I think then once my second son, he started going to daycare, I went back, he was about nine months old when I started back at work. I think the gears really started turning on how I would, I just started getting really excited about how I could start my own practice that was a bit more progressive than what current law firms were doing that would give me some flexibility with my children that I could step out of the box a bit and do my own marketing how I wanted. Because while you're employed in a practice, you're always under that corporate banner and it's there's very limited opportunities to really develop a personal, I didn't even really know what a personal brand was or what my personal brand would be or my values. So I think having a bit of encouragement from the e-commerce side and just feeling that there was no limitations on what I could do there, those two things coming together really started to make me think, well, these are the things that I'd like to do on my own. So I think after that, it was just working on making the jump, which is there's never a really good time because I think, so I started my business in 2018, at the end of 2018. So um, the kids were still little and I thought now's as good a time as any. I don't think waiting was really going to do anything. So well, I may as well take the job now and start from scratch because I didn't want to get, you know, further in my career and then having to kind of take a step back with in terms of income as well because I started with zero clients. I didn't take an existing client base or anything like that, which I think I got a lot of um, raised eyebrows from other lawyers going, oh, you're going to start on your own without any clients or, you know, just completely start from the ground level. So I think the e-commerce really had a big factor to play in that um, so that I could start developing my own marketing plan, I guess, for the, the law practice. Oh, I have I have so many questions for you, actually, after you sharing all of that. So I want to rewind a little bit because a couple of really key things that you said that you became aware of about yourself. Now, having been an architect, and I'm sure it's similar for lawyers, engineers, uh, any of these professions where it's pretty cut and dry what you do, right? And uh, should you step out of out of that uh, path or step out of that box, like you said, that you were were putting yourself in because you just looked at everyone else around you and, and you were all the same and you kind of dressed the same and and uh, I guess little, uh, little opportunity, maybe because the conversations weren't actually being had. So uh, there wasn't really the possibility of you exploring it a little bit deeper, but you said something really interesting about being aware of the fact that you loved getting out and meeting people. Once you started uh, your business, it, you had an interest in marketing and you also had an interest in getting to know businesses and getting inside their story, where they were going, what their vision was, all of these things that I, it's really interesting because 
I interviewed a couple of weeks ago, uh, Nick Minter from SoQual, and she said exactly the same thing, that whilst her business is about social media, she really thrives on those conversations of why why are you in business why you know, how did you how did you recognize that what was what was it that you felt or that you sensed in your body or you noticed something uh, you know maybe those conversations really really went well maybe you got great results from those types of clients yeah what was it that had you realize this is this is actually a skill set of mine that even though I'm in the law I'm actually really good at these things as well yeah I think when I was working for um private practice if we'd get in a client and I'd get assigned a task to do for that client I wasn't just satisfied just doing that task um, if it was just drafting a particular document for that client I always would go straight to their website. I would research who are the owners of the business, you know, find out as much as I could about them. Because I think not only um, was I just interested in that, it obviously helps when you're preparing things for clients to know um, about their business because you can say to them, well, have you thought about this? Or I know that you do this in your business. What are some of the risks associated with that? So I think I was always very well first in the client's business and I would try and find out as much as I could purely just I loved finding about people's journey of their business as well but I think clients really appreciated that because they thought oh wow you've actually looked at what we do I'm not having to explain you know the, the nuts and bolts of everything because a lot of those businesses that I was initially working with were in because Newcastle you know there's a lot of mining support services so they're manufacturing equipment that goes into mines and I don't know anything about engineering or manufacturing so I really wanted to make sure that I understood well, what does this piece of equipment do and what do you do when you're you know going into the mines and all this kind of thing so I think um, it it reflected when I was doing the work because I knew exactly what their business was but it was also just I always just found people's business journey so interesting and I think it just creates that connection where if you, I think meeting with a lawyer, they're not coming to you just going, oh, here's your document, these are the legal risks. I actually took an interest and I would always ask questions about their business and, and that's something they're passionate about. So they were always so willing to give information about their business. Um, and I just really enjoyed having that, that conversation. So I think it did start early on. It was just me wanting to be on the one hand well-prepared, but then being just so fascinated about the different types of businesses that I was dealing with and how they got to where they are. So I think it started early on, but it's, it, I always ask, I feel sometimes I'm a bit nosy because I ask all these questions. I think, oh, they're probably thinking, why is this relevant to the task that you're doing? But I think it just gives such a better picture to what I'm doing and also just the human interest side as well. Yeah. And, and I can imagine law can be, it's, it's one of those things that we do out of, uh, you know, in terms of setting up a business, it's like ticking a box, you know, it's very, uh, it's somewhat rigid, I guess. And so for you developing those relationships with your clients, humanized it a little bit, it built trust with them. It, it uh, had you come across authentic and interested in their business and I think that's 
uh, a skill that potentially sets you apart now with the types of businesses that you want to work with and that you do work with is that they're going to not just get amazing service from you and have the, the boxes ticked, but they will feel like Amelia's uh, on their side of the court, you know, that, that it's not this uh, scary process and you can actually help to break down those barriers a little bit for them. So I really love that. I really love that you've brought that, that humanistic aspect to a profession it's like accounting you know like <laughs> yeah it's it's sometimes those things that we we resist a little bit but are super important if you could make that feel a little bit uh a little bit easier for them it's good now something else I, you touched on a, a little bit is this concept of personal brand is this something that you simply became interested in were you introduced to it through your networking and things like that and and how important now looking back do you think is it for women to start to unpack what their personal brand is even if they're not thinking about pursuing their own business but simply allowing themselves to have the best opportunity to stand out as they move through their career, because that's where I see personal brand come in. It allows you to bring your personality into your work and set you apart and really understand your value uh, and your values as well, as you said. Uh, is that something that you think uh, in these more professional circumstances could be leveraged a little bit more by, by women out there? Definitely. I think it took me a long time to really accept the fact that I had to embrace a personal brand because I was always aware of it because I would go to networking events where they would speak about marketing. But I just felt that, oh, I'm just a lawyer in a practice, you know, that the firm has its brand identity. I'm just a part of that. So if I were to do anything, it would just have to follow their process. And I think that was probably not the right approach because there are ways that you can express your personality in a practice, a private practice, working for someone else. And I think it's through, you know, in law, it might be approaching um, a, one of the bosses and saying, look, I will, I'd like to do a seminar to the clients or I'd like to write an article or do something that where you can show your writing skills or your presentation skills, because that is part of your personal brand. And I think for me, I, I, re, I resisted that aspect a bit I also I guess working part-time didn't have a lot of luxury of time to prepare marketing material so it was really just getting to get the work done but I think even in the last 18 months of having my own business I've I've had to catch up a lot and figure out what is it my personal brand what is it what do I how do I want to present myself and how is that different to other lawyers because I think we are I can't make up the law the law is what it is and um, I think that for me, one of my key goals is education. And I think I've always had that in me because when I speak with clients, I really, my first task is to make sure they understand what I'm saying. It's not just telling them what the law is. It's here is how it operates and really breaking it down for them so that they actually understand the process. Because I don't think the law should just be something that's kept by the lawyer's 
you know, in ivory towers that only we can understand and read because people are smarter than that these days. You know, anyone who's thought about starting a business, there's millions of articles online to find research and information. And there's also, you know, definitely a place for lawyers because we do have a specialised skill set. But there's information that, you know, I'm more than willing to pass on to people. And I think that was a big part of coming to terms with what my personal brand is, is just that education side and putting it in terms that people will understand and breaking down that information barrier a bit. So in one way, I wish I'd come to that realisation a bit sooner, but I think they all, you know, everything comes at the time that it's meant to be. But there's definitely ways that you can start thinking about that if you are working for someone else. Um, and yeah, I guess getting a bit creative with how you express that in a corporate sense as well. Yeah, I think I think so. I really, really stand behind this because having come from a background in architecture, which is probably a little more creatively free than than the law or accounting or engineering. Uh, we certainly didn't have to dress a, exactly a certain way, but we did wear a lot of black. <laughs> we wore a lot of black. So I was always trying to find ways of pushing the boundaries a little bit. And I think that I remember going to a wedding in January, actually, it was really, really funny. And I uh, saw these two guys standing at a distance and I turned to my husband and I said I bet that guy on the left is an architect because he had certain dress standing out a little bit but still in black so not too much these beautiful uh, glasses that were probably an Italian designer and it's really funny how even though we believe we're creative we're still easily identifiable <laughs> amongst a crowd <laughs> And, and I guess what I would say on that, uh, just for everyone listening, is, yeah, do invest in understanding this because one thing I found was that when I was in, in a professional setting, and certainly you do have to be professional with clients. I'm not saying that you kind of let loose and uh, you just whatever, but uh, it, it certainly made me realise that once I was out of it, how much I had kind of suppressed parts of myself, my expression, my personal expression, because I had to fit into this uh, box, if you will, or uh, operate in a certain way. And especially being in a profession, ironically, that now has as many females going through university as it does males. And maybe that's the same for law now. But once you're in practice, that's still majority male dominated environment and so you do you feel like you have to be quite careful with how you express yourself in that sort of environment is there anything you want to say on that in terms of uh looking back now and um now how you view yourself in your business and have you relaxed a little bit do you think so much yeah. I can't even express I just resonated so much with what you said it's just I yeah, I mean, there was opportunities to show a bit of personality when you're working in private practice, but I was always, you know, I, I still felt that obligation of I'm representing a company. So, you know, there's certain things that you need to keep in mind, but I'm so much more relaxed to the point now where I'm like, oh, this is, I feel like this, this job's so much more fun in a, in a strange way because I can be myself with clients. 
Um, one of the biggest things that's different is I think when you when I was working, and this might just be me, but I, I think some people hopefully will resonate as well, but when you're working in corporate, it's almost like you have to pretend you don't have a family, you don't have an outside life. So, you know, I'd be taking calls on the days that I was at home with the children and, you know, having them screaming in the background on a phone to a client, on, on the phone to a client trying to act as if everything's fine, I'm very professional. And to compare that to now, well, particularly with everyone being at home, um, I've got the, both the kids at home and, you know, I'll often say to clients, look, my kids are in the background. If they make a noise, I'll, I might have to hang up and call you back. And they're like, yeah, that's fine. And I even had a, a video conference with some clients and they decided to jump into the video call as well um, very briefly after I quickly ushered them out of the room but it's just things like that I don't feel that I can still be professional but I can still acknowledge that I have a family life or it's that I can't give you a call now I'm at swimming lessons I'll call you back and whereas before I just felt that pressure of don't kids don't exist like my home life can't exist I'm I'm 100% only working and that's all that was part of me so yeah definitely a lot more relaxed in the way I communicate those things with clients. And I think they appreciate it because at the end of the day, we're all human. Everyone has a home life as well as a work life, whether they've got kids or not. Um, people are, have been very understanding. Yes. And if anything, in this last couple of months that we've been through, we are realizing how human we actually are and we have different responsibilities and obligations and things are going to go right and sometimes they're not and so I, I hope that as we go back into uh, our normal circumstances as normal as that becomes that there is a little bit of relaxing around those boundaries by uh, the workplaces and understanding like you said that we're whole humans and uh we have more than just uh one thing going on in our lives yeah yeah, yeah oh very cool very cool thank you for sharing that now share a little bit about your digital business with me does that still exist your online store are you winding that down uh what's your plan with that and i i find it so fascinating i think that uh Time and time, time. Again, oh, time and time again, uh, you hear these stories of women with newborns who have these epiphanies of businesses <laughs> that they want to start. There must be something uh, with the hormones and uh, the creativity and all of that that sleep deprivation, I'm sure, plays, plays a part in it as well. But uh, tell me a little bit what that business is and what the status of that is right now. Yeah. Yeah. So it's a, an online clothing store for kids' clothes and it's I, I have all Australian brands. So all of them except for one, which is Indie Kids, which is run by Industry, which has the menswear brand. All of them are designed by other Australian mums. They get them manufactured and, and I, I'm basically a retailer for those. So I worked on it really solidly for the first two years after coming back. Well, while I was on maternity leave and then going back to work, in the second year back at work um, after my second child was born, I started working four days and that's where I had to take a little bit of a step back because four days was just so much of a different balance with home life and work life. Um, but I'd be, you know, coming home from work, packing orders, doing social media, doing Facebook lives, ordering things. Like it was just chaos and I'd 
sometimes I think I, it didn't seem like it was hard, but I'd be talking to people. They're like, how do you have two children? You're working three days a week. You've got another business that you're building. I'm like, I don't know. I just, I would, it was just so much fun. Um, but when I started working four days, it started to slowly less time I could put into it. And then once I made the jump into starting the law business, um, the law practice, I, I, I was really torn because I thought, no, I can do this. I can do both. I can build my law practice from scratch. I can keep the e-commerce store running and it's all going to be okay. But then I started to find that, you know, I, because I was starting from scratch with the legal practice, I had to put a lot of time into marketing that and going to networking and, and trying to build that income source. So I had to make the decision of, well, if I'm going to spend time doing marketing, I was enjoying it. You know, I made this decision to start my own law practice because I wanted to give that a go. So I thought I've got to put 100% into this. So I made the decision to kind of just ease off on that. I did think of selling it and I did put... Um, put a call out on social media and I did get a lot of interest but I just really was so busy with other things that I didn't get to sell it get around to selling it which is weird um but so it still exists it's still very slow I mean there's still things coming through but with any anyone who's run an e-commerce store will know that it's all about momentum and consistency with marketing I think a lot of people go into e-commerce thinking oh I've got this fantastic product everyone's going to love it I just need to put it on the internet and people will come and find it but it's, it's so much more than that. And it's about, I think that was one of the biggest lessons is just consistency and showing up because people might not be wanting to buy your product that particular day, but you just have to be in their mind all the time. So, and that's the same with the service-based business, which is the legal services. It's, it's about not everyone's going to need a lawyer at every month of their business, but it's about being front of mind and being consistent with that approach and, and knowing that, oh, Amelia does this type of law. I'm, I need that. I think I need that now. I might give her a call. So the e-commerce store is still there. I'm still kind of very doing the bare minimum to keep it kind of going. But um, I will get around to selling it eventually, I think. <laughs> I think that's been a huge block for me is actually letting go of it. Yeah. <laughs> so I focus on the other one. <laughs> I, I 100%. I can, I can imagine that letting go of something that you created at a time that was also so pivotal in your life that you you brought that to life and uh, <laughs> you're talking about being super mom, wonder woman and so I guess letting go of it is also letting go of part of that identity of like you know saying I'm complete with not doing it all and I really want to focus on this one thing so um yeah, I, I totally understand that. Even even for me with letting go of different parts of my business and changing ways that I do things, it's, uh, it, yeah, we've, we invest so much time in those things, they become part of our identity. So it's like losing a part of that. So, uh, so interesting. Now, uh, with your law business, uh, you specialize in working with female-led businesses. And what, what was your reasoning behind uh, focusing? I know you work with other businesses as well, but you have a particular passion for women leading small businesses. What, what was it? Was it your own experience with leading a small business that had you go, oh, I want to be surrounded by more of these women? Yeah, talk to me about your choice to focus on that market. 
Yeah, I think it was um, part of it was starting my own business because being in the position that I was as a lawyer, I already knew how to start, the, you know, the technical sides of starting a business, getting an ABN, do I need to register for GST or not? Not that I'm an accountant, but I have a basic understanding of those um, legal and accounting concepts to get a business started and the risks that were going to be in my business. So I felt really comfortable with that. There was no, um, you know, I knew how to do all of that and it was more learning the marketing. And I was just seeing so many more, I was exposed to so many more women having their own businesses, whether they were doing the clothing um, businesses that I was buying from or just women starting their own businesses, either as just on their own or with a very small team. And a lot of them were coming from backgrounds that they'd probably never seen a contract or read a contract um, or come from professional services to understand even where to go for that information. Um, so I think it was wanting to, I guess, help those women understand that there are certain things you need to be thinking about for your business, where you can get that. I think there's breaking down a bit of a stereotype and a barrier to getting legal advice because I think there is still, although like architecture, it is more, I think we've actually hit a statistic now where there's more, slightly more women in the profession than men, but the older generation, so probably even um, a couple of years older than me and upwards are still male dominated. So people still have that perception of um, male lawyers. Not that there's anything wrong with male lawyers and there's so many great ones out there, but I think for women, they just still have this perception of, um, I guess it's a bit of fear of maybe they don't think that they'll understand or they don't know where to start. I think cost is a huge barrier as well for people even picking up the phone um, because a lot of firms will still want money up front or the way that they structure their fees is still quite restrictive for businesses entering the market. So I really wanted to help and provide, I guess, a bit of guidance for those types of businesses because they've never been exposed to the business side um, before. Maybe, you know, they've never worked in private practices or corporate. So I think that was something that I was kind of coming across and, and thought that, you know, these are obviously smart women they're passionate about what they're doing you know there's there's so many pieces to that business puzzle and understanding the legal risks and the legal side is just one part of it as well yes and I guess the purpose of what you do is helping us to stay in business right it's helping us to continue to do what we love and make sure it's like making sure that your house is insured and that you know, everything is in order so that you can actually focus on what you're really, really good at. And sometimes we want to avoid the numbers and we want to av avoid the legal stuff because like you said, it's, we don't understand it. And I guess now with people like you bringing uh, your approach to services, it's simply uh, far more, I guess, easy. It's uh, that that whole conversation doesn't have to be about jargon that you do not understand. And that's something that I love about your approach as well. And I want to talk a little bit now about values because you, one thing that you do focus on so well, Amelia, is breaking down terminology and making it really simple for people to grasp, grasp concepts. And especially uh, what we've been through recently 
there's been a lot of information coming at us so quickly and it's been so wonderful for you to be there to bridge that gap so that we can uh, access the information that we really need because it, I, I know that when all of this started happening it was like oh what what part of this puzzle applies to me over here um, and so I want to commend you on that really really well done uh, I know a big focus of your marketing is is education so it's great to see that come through in your content and building trust in that way with your audience Talk to me about being strong in your values. I jumped on your website on your website and had a little uh, browse before we uh, connected for this call. And something that's really clear is your values. Like you put them on there; they're very obvious for people to understand. And and you're saying, "Hey, this is what this is what my business is all about." So, talk to me about that process of unpacking your values, and then. What are your values and your business? Yeah, I think my values really came from what I saw as the main barriers to people getting legal advice or not even a barrier, but the things that turned people off from using lawyers, whether they'd had experience using a lawyer in the past or not. And I think the the first thing, and they, they are closely connected, is, is getting rid of the legal jargon. I, I understand the legal jargon. That's my job to understand it, but it's not my client's job to understand that. They don't need to understand that. So it's kind of removing that and saying, well, this is what this actually means because my role is to interpret legislation or read a contract and say, well, this is what this actually means. And when I'm preparing things for clients as well, it's putting it in a way that it's practical for them so they can actually understand you know, if it's preparing terms and conditions for your business, you need to use that document every day. So you need to understand what it is. So it's, you know, giving that just real world advice um, and also showing that there's value in, in having that advice. So um, making sure, and part of that is the education, explaining the document and saying, do you, you know, this is how it works in your business. Not just a high level of, you know, the law says that a contract's created when one person makes an offer and the other person accepts the offer. It's like, okay, well, that's great. But I do this kind of business and I'm emailing people and calling them and we don't, I don't know when the offer's made. So it's saying, okay, in your circumstances, these are the steps that you need to take based on what the law says. Um, so they're really, you know, the two, you know, breaking down the jargon and also giving value and information to the client. And then the last value that was really important to me as well is, fees it's something that lawyers hate talking about and I think there's this perception of lawyers that we don't talk about it because we're money hungry and we're grabbing but I've worked with lawyers and they just don't like talking about it. they have this huge fear they just it just makes them feel a bit icky they don't want to say how much things are going to cost or they give an estimate and then they do so much more work and then the client gets an invoice and goes well you, you said it was going to be this much um, you know so there was just so much confusion around how much lawyers charge and the basis for that. And we do have guidelines. So the Law Society of New South Wales and Australia-wide, there are guidelines for lawyers. We have to say what things are going to cost. But in practice, things move quickly. And there was just so much confusion around that. So I, and especially with businesses, I think we're in a market where 
you can go to a graphic designer, you can go to a web designer and they'll say, okay, to prepare this, it's going to cost X amount of dollars. People are used to working in a project cost. And for what I do in the commercial space, I just thought, well, there's no reason that I can't do that as well. I know generally how much time these things take. I didn't want clients thinking I can't give Amelia a call because she's going to be, you know, that's six minutes and I'll get charged $35 for a one minute phone call. You know, I didn't want people stressing because it didn't tie into those other values. I mean, how can I provide value to a client if they're worried about calling me or sending me an email with a question? So I really wanted to make sure that I was giving them a project um, scope of work and a fixed cost. So they know exactly what the cost is going to be. And I think for some ways that's really scary. And I think the bigger your overheads are, that's harder to manage. But people aren't constantly calling me with questions because we do the work up front to identify their commercial objectives, you know, talk about their business. So they're really not, there's not a lot of questions and back and forth. And I'm happy to answer those if they do come up. Um, so I think they all, those values really, I wanted them to tie in together. Um, and I know that I was all, almost hesitant to talk about fees as one of my core values, but I just found that so many lawyers so fearful of talking about it because they're worried about losing work or they're worried that people won't want to pay for the service. And I think for me, having the, I think the marketing side helps because you don't have to win every client. Um, if it's not a right fit, and I was really conscious of wanting to find the right fit for my business and that's why you know women who are really passionate about their business I think they're drawn to what I do because we have similar values when I was working in private practice you're working with all types of clients and you know there's clashes in values but I think having my values very clear there and even the fees people I think anyone will attest to the fact that if if you really want to work with someone and I don't have huge high fees but you know you, you'll pay if, if you want to work with that person and I'm happy not accepting work if people think they're not going to get the value if I've said to them this is how much it's going to cost and they don't think they're going to get the value that's fine I'm, I'm not I don't take it personally that's part of doing business and I think that's a huge um, step away from what law firms are doing in a traditional sense with their estimates and trying to win work maybe at a lower cost, but then they're doing all this extra work anyway. So, and I think that's where the gap happens is that the client thinks, you you know, this was going to be the estimate. When I know that the lawyers, they're doing the work, you know, they're, they're putting in the hard effort. They should be paid for that, but why not just have that discussion up front? So it's easier for me because I know exactly what the matter is going to cost and the clients appreciate it too because they're getting that certainty up front as well. Oh, I find that so interesting about the money stuff because, <laughs> yeah, you would think that uh, being in a profession like that and, uh, you know, you earn good money as, as a lawyer, probably not when you're a graduate and <laughs> <No. laughs> you're filing papers on your first few days. But as you go through, there is potential to earn better money. So you, I think you have this assumption that people are going to be confident talking about numbers because they're earning good money themselves. But that that is, wow, that's a real uh, eye-opening moment. And do you think you had confidence talking about money or did you have to do some work yourself 
and to really embrace these conversations that now that you were your business and you were going to be having all of these interactions with clients that you needed to be really clear and and upfront and honest yeah did you did you have to do a bit of work on on your money beliefs and things like that to feel more confident or did it simply come with practice of having these conversations yeah, there's two probably two sides to it. When I was in private practice, I had um, there was a personal interest in wanting to be upfront because I was usually the lawyer doing all the extra work, and then it was not getting recovered, and the clients weren't wanting to pay because the the fees weren't dealt with, you know, in a way that they could have been upfront. I find it really awkward to talk about money with clients now, and I think the first. The first matter that I got and I had to give a fixed fee, I think I typed out the fee and deleted it about 50 times because I was second guessing myself. I was like, is this too much? You know, is this person going to think? And it wasn't very much. It was, I think the job was only about $300. Like it was a, a small project. And I was like, is this person going to think I'm too expensive? And I kept going, oh, maybe I should halve it. And then I just, it took me a long time to get that confidence. Um, and now I, I think I've come to that real, realization a bit more. Of, you know, I think I'm setting a fair price for what that person's going to get. I know that I'm going to most likely over deliver. Um, so if that person can't see the value in that, then I'm happy to let that that go, and that makes room for someone else, or I can do something else. So I'm not so attached to the figures now. Um, whereas in the first probably six months it was very hard sending out a fee proposal I'd be on the phone to people because we do still have that obligation I've got to disclose the fees and I would say you know under the legal profession act I have to disclose my fees and I do it this way and I'd get to the email and I'd be like oh no that's too high that's too low I don't know I just didn't know where to put the figure and it's really it's just numbers on a page so yes definitely some work around um, money mindset for me personally when going into practice but I think slowly slowly getting better I'm not there yet I think there's still always challenges yeah yeah absolutely because as you build your business as well you know that these fees are likely to change a little bit over time so you know that this is not the first time that you're going to have to face this feeling of oh oh gosh I have to share the fee with them was there anything practical that you've done have you read any books have you listened to podcasts uh, did you, you're obviously clear on your values, but did you get really clear on your value? Uh, yeah, share with me any, any tools that might be able to help the listeners. Yeah, I think um, I've listened to Denise Duffield Thomas a lot. Um, I've read her books and she's great. I think I, I'm drawn to her work. She's very practical in the advice she gives about money mindset and setting prices so even before I started my law practice, I'd read her books and I knew what the challenges were. Actually facing them was a different thing. And I think it was just getting comfortable with the fact that, you know, I knew, like I said, I knew what the value was for the work that I was going to provide. And I had to kind of detach myself from the rejection because I think that's in the early stages of your business, getting any inquiries was just, I wanted to hold on to that client and just sort of make, you can use me. I'm, I'm not that expensive, but you know, you don't have to convince them of that. I think it was letting go of the attachment of 
if they say no, that's fine. I'll move on to the next thing. Um, and it's funny how it works out, but most of the time it's the ones that I underquote, that I feel that I've underestimated, that are the ones that don't go through. And I always get this sense of relief, like, oh, thank goodness, because I know that was going to be double what I've actually told you. <laughs> and I'm glad that we didn't go through. So it's just, I think it's, um, it does take, I think it's knowing that there is a mindset around that is the first thing. Because I think when I first started thinking about pricing, if you just go off um, just saying, oh, this is what it's going to be, you don't realise how the attachment to getting that work can actually impact what you give for your prices. So I think understanding that I can let go of that, it doesn't mean anything about me. That was the another big thing was it doesn't mean that I'm a bad lawyer. It doesn't mean that I'm a bad person. Um, it just means that it wasn't right for them. So I think that was another big thing that I had to get over and still get over. Um, oh, yeah. yeah. <laughs> Self-worth and money. I mean, that is that is a big part of uh, DDT's work. And she's a local Newcastle woman. So she's got a great uh, base of raving fans here. But I think having a woman that really stands in her worth uh, with with her work is is number one really important when you're picking mentors in terms of money and, and this money mindset work and and then it also uh, models for you if I stand in my worth and I confidently share my pricing it also helps it's reciprocal because yeah for those women that are really proud and and leading their businesses with this pride to have another woman show them that uh it really really helps us and so I I think uh yeah great job on working on that and becoming more confident with that because it's really important it helps the flow of money too you know, if we want to see more women succeed in business, then we need to be the examples of that for them. And I think so much of, of probably law or accounting, some of these parts of our business that we may not be super experienced in, a lot of it's based around fear, which is really unfortunate. And that's probably also where a lot of the money stuff comes through is that, you only lawyer up when something's going wrong in your business and it's going to cost you a lot of money and all of this side of the spectrum. Whereas if we actually support ourselves in the early days and, and nurture our business and all, all parts of our business, the legal side, the numbers side, it's going to help us do our job so much better, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. Uh, so on that, let's get practical for a second for the listeners out there that are thinking about starting a business or maybe they're in the early days of their business and they haven't yet uh, got some important documents in place or maybe there's a bit of fine tuning of some of those documents maybe it's policies uh, insurances as well um, private indemnity insurance public indemnity insurance all of this terminology now could you share with us maybe two, three basic things that are good for, I guess I work with service-based businesses and product-based businesses. So it's not, it's not cut and dry for me in terms of the listeners. Yeah. But what would you recommend as some, some basics for either of those two types of businesses to have in a place? 
I think with the e-commerce side, um, it's really the refund and return policy. And I know a lot of businesses think, oh, can't I just get a template from somewhere or just copy someone else's website? <laughs> um, but it's really about understanding, well, what are your actual obligations under the Australian consumer law when you're um, selling products to a consumer? And that's how the refund policy and returns policy is actually formulated. So it's not just a matter of saying, oh, I don't accept returns for change of mind or you've just copied what someone else had. You need to understand what you can actually do within the limits of the law. Um, so it's about, you know, understanding that and having a policy that reflects that. And I think for businesses, understanding it's not just having, oh, I've got this nice refund return policy. It was drafted by a lawyer. It's about using that you get used, you use that every day in your business. So if you do get a customer saying, I want to return a product and you know where you stand in terms of your obligations under the consumer law, you can say to that, that customer, well, no, that doesn't qualify. We're not able to return it because a lot of business owners will have this copy and pasted returns policy and then go, oh, I don't know if I, they spend so much time worrying about should I return this product? Do I need to give a refund? Do I need to exchange? And it just wastes so much energy. So it's, it helps to streamline your customer service process so that you know exactly what you can and can't do. And I always say to people, that doesn't mean that you can't do something, you know, if you if you don't have to exchange it, but you decide to, that doesn't mean you can't do that because that's just good customer service. But you at least know and you can have a, they can be the exception to the rule. But if you don't have a rule in place uh, and you don't know what you can do, it just causes so much angst in your business that you don't need, especially dealing. And that was one of the things that I found in my e-commerce business. I already knew if I had to return a product or not to a client or to a customer. And I'd be in Facebook groups and people every single day or multiple times a day, I'm sure your listeners have probably been in groups like this where people are like, I've had a customer say this and I don't know, should I return it? Do I have to refund? And I was just sitting thinking, oh, I'm so glad that I don't have to worry about these things on a daily basis because I know yes or no what I have to do. So that's how it helps the e-commerce business is to understand, have a policy that you understand, understand where you sit in terms of the consumer law. And then it just streamlines that process for your um, for your customers and also, you know, build some trust with the, the store because the customers will know exactly what to expect and you know what you can do and it just takes away some of that anxiety. So I think for e-commerce, really understanding the consumer law is a key part. For the service-based business, it's really about the engagement process. So when you get a new client, um, working out what work you're going to do for them and having terms and conditions that support that. And the terms and conditions will help with your business objective. So supporting your cash flow by making sure you've got your invoicing timeframes in there. Do you require money up front? What happens to the work if it's not paid? Those type of things, because you want to support your cash flow in the early stages of your business. And it also can support um, if you're, depending on the type of services, the risks are higher, but limiting your liability for any um, anything that goes wrong. So you mentioned insurance there. So if you're doing particular types of services, so lawyers and architects will have professional indemnity insurance um, and making sure that you've got that in place to protect you as well. Dealing with things like terminating the agreement. If you've got, if you're doing 
work on a monthly basis? Well, when can your client terminate? When can you terminate? Because these are the types of things that you don't think about at the beginning, but you need to think about the whole transaction. And if you're doing uh, a scope of work for someone, um, for service-based business, what do you do and what don't you do? Being really clear about what you're actually providing. Um, and that can all be in the letter of engagement in terms of conditions. And that's another proactive document. You're using that every time you engage a, a customer because it builds that trust with your client that, okay, well, this is the terms of the arrangement. It's all here. It's clearly written out. So there's no confusion when it comes to, oh, well, I thought I could just end this relationship by sending you an email and that was it. So it just helps clarify everyone's position as well from the service-based side. Mm, so good, so good. And a term that I always use with my clients who are in these early stages is turning pro. Uh, if you see yourself moving into your business full-time, if you're already in your business full-time and you want to move towards certain goals, certain level of abundance, then you need to turn pro, you need to man up. And some of these things will cost you money and you may have to revisit them. But typically, you know, these sorts of things that Amelia is talking about, uh, you do them once a year, you might have to revise it yearly, or as fees change, or as your services change a little bit, or perhaps you bring a new product into your line, and there's a little bit of risk with that product. Uh, you will need to change things slightly, but remember that that often these things, they can be done once, they're put in place. And then as Amelia said, every time you're engaging with a new client or every time you get a sale of a product, it means that you're looked after, that your needs are being met. And like she said, you know, the dollars keep coming in as they should. There's no uncertainty around that. So yeah, remember that, that if you're someone that has some, some goals with your business and you really want to move towards them, do those things to help you turn pro now so that you can feel like you're in control and you know where you're going with it and it's all just a matter of, of growing this thing <laughs> really that's that's some hands down advice that I would give people it's not it's not coming from a place of fear it's actually coming from a place of I really am taking this thing seriously so let's do it right <laughs> yeah yeah, yeah. Uh, finally, I wanted to ask you a little bit about visibility because we talked about the fact that COVID-19 is happening at the moment and it's really meant that you've had to get on top of some uh, changes, stimulus packages, all of these different terminologies that are being thrown at us by the government. But I've also noticed at the same time, you've been so amazing at being there for us, you're jumping on podcasts like this one, you're really amplifying your visibility. And I just wanted to ask you, how's that been? What's that journey been like? Uh, it's not an easy thing for us to do. And uh, I really commend you for doing it. So share a little bit with us about how you've gone about that and uh what's that yeah what's that being like <laughs> yeah this is a really good question yeah. um I I think 
I, again, I go back to my e-commerce store. It was such a good training ground. I did so many little videos. Obviously, it was so much more relaxed and I could just, I was a mum, basically. There was no law side to it. I was just sharing myself as a mum and a, a store owner. Jumping into the legal side, I, up until this COVID-19 situation, I've been so hesitant to put myself out there because there is, there's definitely been a fear of judgment and a fear of allowing myself to be seen as an authority in that space. And I think I had to come to terms with the fact that I don't need to be the authority. I'm not the smartest lawyer in Australia. You know, I'm not um, by any means going to be the only person you should listen to. But I realised I needed to step up and be that for you know the audience that I have and other people in business who who don't have anyone to get that information from so that was actually really difficult and I did once the the initial government response kind of came out I didn't I, I almost hid from social media I thought oh well, people won't want to hear from me you know there's government officials talking and there's lots of intelligent people giving information and I don't know what I don't even know what the turning point was, but I just thought, I think I could start to see a lot of um, discussions online of people just going, I don't understand this. What does it mean for my business? I'm a cafe owner. I own a gym. I don't know what the people, these people are telling me. And I thought, well, I can explain it to them, give them the information. I'm not expecting anything in return because I know this is economically a difficult time. And I think it just came from that. And sometimes Instagram and Facebook's a funny thing. You almost feel like you're just talking into a void and you don't know if people are actually listening. I think that is like that a lot with having a legal business on Instagram because people are going to comment on your post going, oh, that's really great. You know, it's it's not that type of information. People might save the post or they might share it, but it's much more behind the scenes that people are using that information. So sometimes I don't even know if people are listening. And I think I almost had to step away from myself and go, I'll just put this information out there, even if it helps one or two people, then I know that I'm doing something constructive because I I also felt I didn't know what to do. I had this information or I had um, information that I could give people and I thought, well, I'll just give it out, see if people find it valuable. Like I said, it wasn't asking for anything in return. It wasn't saying, you know, you need to pay me for this information. Um, and I think the more you do it, it becomes a little bit easier each time. But that first post, I think it was even just, a, you know, a photo with a caption. I just thought, who's going to care firstly and who's going to listen to me? But I think to hear you say that, and I've had a few other people say, you know, I didn't even know they were reading the posts or watching the videos. For them to say that, I just thought, wow, you really have to step away from your ego, I think, a bit. And I was so attached to that fear of will people judge me personally um, that I was letting it get in the way of actually hopefully giving people some valuable information. Oh, you did, you did. And I know that uh, you might not not might not see the impact directly on your bottom line, but definitely the trust that you have built with your audience over this time and feeling as though 
you're almost our interpreter of this information that is still a little bit jargon heavy for for a lot of us and filled with a lot of words but we really just want to know what does this mean for me you've really stepped up and uh, done it in such a nice way that's professional yet we feel like, oh, I can give Amelia a call and she will be able to support me. And I imagine that's exactly how you wanted to come across. So it's nice when you get that reflected back to you. Definitely. Yeah, so uh, in some ways, thank you COVID for <laughs> allowing Amelia to be more visible and uh, grow her confidence because sometimes we need catalysts like that don't we you know to um give us the opportunity to step up so thank you amelia for this conversation it's been really a pleasure to get inside your business get inside your story uh, people are going to take a lot away from this conversation and realize that that law is so much more than just the cut and dry that there's actually a person behind that information delivering it to you and yeah I just want to say Amelia thank you for being a breath of fresh air uh, in, an in, in an industry that could come across for some of us as something quite scary and uh, now I'm sure that many women are going to listen to this and hopefully be knocking on your door to work with you because yeah you're such a such a beautiful humble woman and you're really going to go far with this business I know thank you so much Ruby oh, you're welcome